0: Welcome to the Booktopia Podcast, I'm John Purcell, I'm here with Sarah Medjoolin, and we're very delighted to have Lance D'Alpugier here, why do I, why do I stop You just up? stumbled I on
1: did. the name, so no, I think you should power
0: through. <laughs> oh. right, I'm going to do it again.
1: Okay.
0: Welcome to the Booktopia Podcast, I'm John Purcell, I'm sitting here with Sarah Medjoolin. Hello. Did I just get your name wrong? Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to continue this, this amateur hour. Um, And I'm welcoming (laughs) Blanche d'Alpuget again because we have um, recorded an interview a long time ago and it's very exciting to have you here for book three in your Bertha Plantagenet's series. Uh, We had you around for um, uh, The Young Lion many, uh, many years ago. Welcome. Thank you, John. (laughs) Except. <laughs> I like to stumble into, into into podcasts, you know. It's my way.
1: I mean, pr- pronouncing words
2: correctly is overrated. It's so overrated. <laughs> it's so overrated.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Blanche, for um, people who have not...
2: Including my first name, which is actually Blanche.
0: Blanche. Yes. Blanche. Blanche. Blanche.
2: Very overrated. Blanche. 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 <laughs> Blanche. Oh.
0: Yeah, so my, my uh, apologies for my ineptness. Um, that's this comes standard uh, with, with the Booktopia podcast because I am in most of them. I'm highly terrible. professional. Yeah, highly that's professional. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Can we, uh, I want to go back um, because um, there's been a wonderful relaunch of the three books, or the first two books, and now the third book has come out through Ventura Press in extraordinarily beautiful, uh, bright colours, covers.
1: Just stunning, actually. Yeah,
0: we're looking at them above your head there. Um, So I'd like to relaunch our conversation and start from the beginning, because I really want everyone to start at book one and to read this wonderful series. Can you tell us a little bit how this whole thing came about?
2: I've been fascinated by the 12th century since my 20s, and I started collecting little books in a street that's now disappeared in Sydney called Rose Street. It was gorgeous street and had little bookshops and art, art shops and so forth. And I've got books on um, medieval and 12th century clothing and armoury and animals and uh, pharmacopoeia and cooking and all of that. And somehow, although I've traveled the world and lived overseas for so long somehow these books survived you can't get them anymore <laughs> wow. but as, over those all of those decades they survived and I and I' kept them and I ca- I come I'd returned to writing but I didn't want to write anything set in the 20th or 21st century Um because I knew that people, if I was writing about contemporary society, people would say, that's me! (laughs) She's written about me! And I probably would have. (laughs) Uh, So I thought I'd, I'd like to really... Go back to what had been my first love, which was the twelfth century. How,
0: how did that happen? Like out of all the centuries, why was is there any? Do you have a moment where you where you suddenly realise that that your interest is going there? Was there a, something that instigated your interest in the twelfth century?
2: I think it was a little book that I bought mm-hmm. about whether it was the costumes or the bestiaries, which were the private zoos that people had, mm-hmm. uh, and. I'm, I'm not sure, but I was interested... I have to admit, I was interested in Helena of Henry II before I was really interested in Eleanor of Aquitaine. I didn't know too much about her at, until I got into it. I knew about him and what a fascinating king he was. Mm. And, of course, the great thing about Henry is he is accused of... I won't say what I think about that, the book says the murder of Thomas Becket, who later became known as Saint Thomas a Becket, the a being a a sort of an honorific that was added some centuries later so the first book is about Henry as uh, the young Duke of Normandy Normandy was tremendously powerful and he was a very strong Viking ancestry the second book is when he seizes the throne of England and the third book which is called The Lion's Torment, is about him as king and Beckett as Archbishop of Canterbury and the clash between the throne or, or the state and the church, which is something that we're seeing right now.
0: Yeah. Mm. I mean, when you go into that century and you choose those, those couple of people, it is an extraordinary uh, complex um, tapestry of, of power, um because there's there there there's the, the, the French, there's there's the Pope, uh well the I mean, there's the slice of France which called itself France at that time, um with, with the king of France sitting on that little island. Um and you had um Eleanor of Aquitaine's family owning pretty much the western side of France, um and England involved in in that ownership. Uh so all these different power plays happening. And then you had the threat from uh from the East uh with, with the Muslim invasion, um there's so much going on in that century. As a novelist, when you actually started to dig down, you just go, "Hallelujah, Eureka, Eureka, this is extraordinary.
2: Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes it, it was very exciting. The more history I read, uh, the more exciting it became. And uh, the more these extraordinary characters jumped off the page. And there was a thing that I remember as a smart-ass 20-year-old, Uh, anybody who disagreed, the the fashionable thing to say was, oh, one of the great minds of the 12th century. And I used to say it myself. (laughs) And then I thought, I don't know anything about the 12th century. Why am I saying this? I'm parroting the ideas of somebody else. So that's when I started reading. And that's when I I read that these were very considerable, very uh, educated, intellectual and... Often foresighted, but also extremely
0: violent, mm. uh, people—larger-than-life yeah. characters. Well, they do sometimes mention that. The, is it the 12th-century Renaissance? They, they talk the, about in those terms.
2: That's right. There was a Renaissance in the 12th century, and that all came crashing down with the the Black Death, which came in the following, yeah. soon afterwards. And they had a, they had wonderful things. They had they'd collected. They'd, start, they'd started to recollect the learning of of, Gre- of Greece and Rome which had all been lost and dissipated during the in after the collapse of the Roman Empire and they were starting
0: to get that back and um, they well kind of kind of stirred up a lot of problems because with the, the church being with, with all the really bright people and the educated people because the church system became more complicated. You needed more educated young men to join in on this sort of stuff. And those kind of minds, when they're given a new manuscript, like an Arist- Arist- Aristotelian manuscript, it, it's so attractive for, for an intellect. And then it doesn't always agree with the, with the current thinking. Um, and, uh, and, and some of them are trying to make, make out that Aristotle was, was prefiguring um, the, the Christian ethics <laughs> Yes. Uh, in his in his writings and that he was really a, a Christian but didn't know it yet because Christ hadn't been around <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes,
2: yes yes and the same and well, the same was said with uh, of Plato of course. Yeah. And, and many many Christians were well there's a sort of platonic stream of Christianity yeah. um, but all, it was a time of great excitement mm. and uh, artistic, excite, intellectual excitement, artistic excitement. They were, it was a time the great cathedrals were built, um, Chartres, Notre Dame, um, La Chapelle, the, the divine uh, stained glass um, cathedral in, in Paris, which was the, the king's particular um, prayer, prayer room, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a very large one. Um, and it was a time of the of romantic love and the troubadours, so there was great in, also a great interest in music. Yeah. And the flowing back from the Crusades, this is what had come in, flowing back to Europe from the first Crusade. Jerusalem was, was conquered in 1099, and the people who came back after that, into the um, 11, the beginning of the 12th century, brought back all these wonderful tales and all these wonderful goods, uh, physical goods and intellectual goods. Um, and this is what f- sowed the seeds of the 12th century Renaissance. Because uh, Eleanor, at her
0: wedding, was wearing clothes that no-one in England had ever seen before because it was stuff that she brought back from... But well, she, uh, the, Eleanor's story is amazing. But when I mean, she she was dragged off to, the um, the second crusade was it? Is that, was it? The... She
2: wasn't dragged off.
0: Okay, she she went <laughs> with. Well, she, she was, took, she, <laughs>
2: she she was she, mad keen to go.
0: She took a retinue of women, didn't she as well? She
2: took right? she took a retinue of women and they dressed themselves as Amazons and they had gold boots and they and white horses and they rode around shouting at the men, "Come on!
1: Oh, this is fantastic!
2: Come on!" You. <laughs> Don't be cowards, yeah. come and <laughs> fight for the cross.
0: But the, um, also in that period is that, is that connection between, between the East and, and the West. Um, you had the people on the uh, the Muslims who have been set up had better uh, medicine, a better idea of science and, and the like. These smelly Westerners had come, had suddenly arrived in their area with this brutish force. They seemed like the most boorish people on, on the planet. they
2: barbarians. Yeah, barbarians. Mm. Hairy barbarians.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, thanks for getting that in. <laughs> Blanche is behind the scenes calling me the hairy one. <laughs> so well, he is rather,
2: if you can only see him. <laughs> uh, yes, they were. Uh, the, what we forget is. Christianity launched the first crusade and won it. And it recaptured Jerusalem, established the kingdom of Jerusalem, and then it lost all the rest of the crusade from Mm. then on. Yeah. Mm. From then on, I would say, until now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So
2: from 1099 was the high point, 88 years later... Saladin retook Jerusalem. And uh, Christians have never really had a show in the Middle East in, in and having a kingdom in the Middle East since. Okay. Mm. Mm. A political kingdom.
0: This is why, I mean, we, we were talking before the podcast about um, just how much of a, a history robber um, a George R.R. R. Martin is, uh, taking a bit from here, a bit from there, and the like, but there's no, absolutely no need. I mean, this one century has enough to write the write the volumes that you've been writing. And how many volumes are left to come in this series? Yeah, that's
2: very i uh, Two more are left. There, I've already finished writing them, so they're going to be... Uh, it's a, a quintet. The, yeah. There are five books in all, and... Um, I wish they could all be published this year. (laughs) And so people could sit down and binge, (laughs) could spend their Easter, well, they perhaps couldn't get them out by Easter, but (laughs) (laughs) the um, whole five. um,
1: I'm very much looking forward to binging the first three. Good. When I have done that, I sort of anticipate being, as often happens when you read historical fiction, you want to know more about
2: the, the time B-
1: period. So having read so extensively since your 20s um, on the 12th century, what would be some recommendations for non-fiction um, books?
0: That are available.
1: That are available to people. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> there,
0: was a, there was a little bit, uh, uh, I think, in the 90s or the 2000s when Eleanor, there's a few books on, on Eleanor came out. Oh, there are a lot of books yeah. on
2: Eleanor, lots of books. There's, there's one um, very, very good one. Called Eleanor of Aquitaine by, oh, um, I know her name as Wallace. I've by. really
1: put you on the spot. I'm you sorry. have,
2: I'm, I'm <laughs> It's excellent. It, it's, it's, her surname's Weiss, I think. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I, know. I think
1: I, I know yeah. the author you're talking about. So sh- so there's one, the, she's done one on Eleanor of Aquitaine.
2: Yes, that's, yeah. that's outstanding. There are a Allison whole Weir? lot. of hmm? Alison Weir? Alison Weir, yes. Yeah. That, that's an outstanding book. There are, there are, um, lot of very bad books about <laughs> no, j- just
0: nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Really, um, there are. What about the the, the original sources? Because like, uh, there are all those um, almost like uh, press corps at the time or, or um, um, propaganda writers of the time, chroniclers. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's the word. Oh, but then when you read them, you. sometimes you're like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we know he's so tall and he's so strong and he's such a brave man. You know, it's like it's, it's like um, it was just it was just propaganda. But yeah, how do you how do you go through all that and try yeah. to work out?
2: Well, the the original original sources are all in Latin. So the mean, you, and uh, they were they were kept in what's called pipe rolls. They were um, ceramic things, and the the parchment. Everything was written on parchment, which of course was the skin of a of a uh, a lamb. Yeah. Um, and rolled up quite and put in inside this pipe roll and preserved that way, but also in the eleventh century, it was the first time that they since the fall of the Roman Empire, that people started keeping documents and realizing the importance of of recording events and and keeping events, but they were wildly partisan, yeah wildly they made the um Fake news looked like (laughs) fake news. Wow. There was was plenty of that going on back then.
0: Yeah, because the the slander around some of these, the the slander around Eleanor is extraordinary. As a woman in that time, they just just kept trying to bring her down in, in, in all the ways in which we're seeing still around today.
2: Yes. She was extraordinarily powerful and women then were allowed to be powerful. And she was born... Basically, a duke. She she called herself a duchess, and she was called a duchess. But she was, she owned Aquitaine, mm-hmm. like Saudi Arabia is called Saudi Arabia because it's owned by the House of Saud. She, it, Aquitaine could have been, well, she was Eleanor of Aquitaine, and she owned that whole province, yeah. apart wow. from little bits and pieces that were owned by uh, the great nobles.
0: And you see her power yeah. because she marries. Louis, and then they annul the marriage, and she keeps the...
2: She keeps her dowry. Yeah. And Louis only married her for her money. Yeah. She was the richest
0: woman in the world.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: And, and, and she, the weird thing about that before... She was 14 when she was married. Yeah. And before... 14! Yeah, so you don't, you don't see... Like, how did you find out about her before the marriage? Because there's hardly anything out there about her in that early life. About her historically, I mean, we can sort of put things together.
1: That's I'm a novelist <laughs> call it the imagination. It's
0: called
2: imagination. It's called connecting to, with your characters. I was going to
0: say that because one of the joys sometimes when you come across um, a, a, a historian who's also a novelist, I love those um, um, histories because they can they can leap into uh, the minds of characters in ways that. A historian would never dare, and in fiction you can go that extra step uh, and really take us in. When when the the chronicle ends, you can continue. Yes, you know, and there's that that, and that wonderful power. But also the, you know the thing we you know, there's a whole range of different kind of writers or of novels, and you know, the, the better the, the novelist, the more trust we place in that understanding of human psychology and and the motives of people, and then to be able to say. Yes, I'm going to take this. If you give me three points here, uh, and I mean, I, I can't really work out myself as a reader where this may lead. I'm going to put all my faith in you, Blanche, and you're going to take me with these tiny bits of information that that are still around, and you're going to walk me into this. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah,
1: hmm. I'm going to. This will be historical fact as far as I'm concerned.
0: Will be <laughs> very
2: strong ground. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Is it hard though? Is it hard um, sometimes to know? You know. Do you, do you ever encounter real events that weren't working for your story that you had to ignore or tweak to to fit in?
2: No, no. I I, I never um, said a, somebody won a battle who hadn't Didn't, won a yeah. battle. There is one case in a book that's yet to be published where I've got somebody in there who wasn't actually in there, but it's that's the only... Circumstance I can think of where I've um, which is it's a very well recorded battle it was when basically England grabbed Scotland yeah um, and uh, that's the only time mm-hmm. that I actually made something I put him in because yeah. it was so such an attractive thing to do but <laughs> otherwise I've I've really kept the, the facts as the skeleton mm-hmm. and then Built upon that.
0: Because if you, if you are reading the histories of this time, there is that frustrating bit where you don't... They, the historian will say, we don't know much about this particular thing, so I can't really colour it in. So
2: that's when you become... That's when the importance of historical imagination... Exactly. Imagination. Yeah, yeah. Is a really eye,
0: important. A understanding. Yeah. And, and
2: a real f- um, feeling, a psychological feeling of, of what these people were like. Mm. They they were very different from us in certain ways. For example, they didn't have our squeamishness about um, the physical body and and natural functions. So, um, going to the lavatory together was was. No big deal, a man and a woman would do that side by side without the slightest embarrassment, <laughs> and uh, which t- today would be quite... Peculiar. Uh,
0: uh, unthinkable, <laughs> yes. But also the uh, the way in which they think about religion and the way the world works. I mean, we're talking 20th century. Yes.
2: Yeah. For, for example, birds that migrated... They couldn't understand it. There they all were in summer and then winter would come and they'd disappear. So they had a theory that birds turned into fish in winter and lived in the rivers and uh, in the sea until warmer weather and then they came laping back into the air again turned back into birds. Yeah. Perfectly logical. <laughs> and, and <laughs> it made of sense you, to them. Yeah, it, makes, <laughs> well, it
0: makes sense if you're just looking for answers. And yes.
2: You know. And another thing that they had, going for them, was they had no venereal diseases. So they ha- so sex, while the church had some say over it, it had none of the terrors that it developed over later centuries. Um, gonorrhea was brought back in the Third Crusade, the th- um, but up until then... Uh, what's it called? Leprosy was brought back by the first crusade. That was could be um, contracted venereally, but there weren't a lot of people lining up for that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Not Second crusade,
2: okay. Third crusade. Sorry, boys, you and girls, you're in trouble here. It, it, of course, the. In Roman times, there had been syphilis and gonorrhea and everything else, but they'd died out. Right. Those things, that had completely died out. So, so they had a very different attitude towards sex mm-hmm. from what developed later and is uh, rightly based on terror.
1: Yeah, interesting. I didn't know any of that.
0: So um, is there sex in the books? Like, are we talking it's a sexy period? Are we, is that what you're trying to allude to, that this is... Like Eleanor was getting around, or what's the, what's the, what's, what? Tell me something. I'm not saying anything about (laughs) Queen Eleanor.
1: Are you trying to slut shame Eleanor of (laughs) Aquitaine?
0: (laughs) Oh, that's what the, the, you, yes, you the, right, like the chroniclers were doing at the time. They were saying that she left with her uncle, they said that she slept with Saladin. Um, she was Paladin. the most powerful woman in the world.
1: She could do what she She wanted. did what she
0: liked.
2: And as you're probably aware, the royals have always had quite a different attitude towards sex to, to all other class, classes of, of, of people. But yes, I am saying there's quite a bit of sex in the book because there was quite a bit of sex. Yeah. For example, Henry's... Um, great-grandfather, to whom he was uh, very, very devoted, had 25 bastards, but that was only the males. Yeah. They only counted those, and we don't oh, know how I many am. females oh, as God. well. So, so he, uh,
0: Henry had 11, I think, Henry the Second.
2: He only admitted to
0: two. Oh, right, okay.
2: What
1: did the chroniclers say? Well, 400, oh,
2: really. yeah! yeah. <laughs> I'm viewing the chroniclers
0: as medieval Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah, yes, and, yes, yeah. Yes, right. <laughs> well, not probably not quite so. How many children did Eleanor have throughout? Because she, she had eleven children, forty-five or something with her last child. Was that yes? Was
2: that? And she le- she had eleven live births. One of them died in infancy, probably infanticide, almost certainly infanticide, <laughs> um, for a good reason. Um, not her good reason. Um, What's the good reason? Read the books. Yeah, read the books, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my three copies just sitting
1: over there. But she also,
2: this is the other thing. She lived to 81. We, these days we have this idea, oh, they were all four feet tall and, 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 and died at 40. Mm. Quite wrong. Women in the 12th century, this is known from graves in London, 12th century women were actually larger than 20th century women. Wow. Well, just think, they either worked, walked, or they rode horses, mm. and you had to be strong yeah. uh, for both of both of those things. Uh, also, they they had they didn't have lifts or elevators, <laughs> uh, so they, and there were lots of stairs in castles. So though you used mm. to walk up and down stairs, they had all organic food. They had very little sugar. There was hardly any sugar in, and what there was was used as a medicine in small quantities. It was brought in from from um, Utramir as it called it, which was basically Syria uh, which is now Israel and Palestine and Lebanon and blah blah blah. Anyway, it, it, so the sugar came from there. So they had organic food, they had fresh food in winter. They had pickled food pickles and are known to be very good for the digestion. Mm. So they didn't have all of those problems that we had um, with highly processed food and yeah. and uh, out of season food and mm. the, it was a healthy life.
1: they were very active and they ate clean
2: and they <laughs> ate clean and they had and they had clean air and they had, they didn't drink much water, I must say. <laughs> yeah. they, uh, they drank very little water. They drank, for, for breakfast they would drink what was called small beer, but it was no more alcoholic than, um, say, yogurt. It was, uh-huh. a, it was a ferment, so it was just to, to take the bacteria out. Mm. So, and they didn't live terribly crowded up. As we do in in cities, so um, there weren't those huge numbers of diseases. They 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 certainly had things like malaria and and um, typhus and um, fevers, and but, but but most people died. Uh, women died in childbirth, yeah, yeah. or they died of blood poisoning. Yeah. Quite simple. Oh wow! And, and men men didn't die in childbirth, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, Injuries were very uh, battle. fetal injuries were, yeah. were very serious. But those in the church lived to a great age. Um, pope Innocent the Third lived to ninety three, for example. That's really annoying for the Iranese.
0: As a pope, like come on, dude, <laughs> come
2: on, move on, <laughs> please. <laughs> yes, but there was another. There was a uh, one of. The Dukes of Normandy, Duke Rollo, he lived to 80. He died at the age of 80 after succumbing to a life of endless toil. So it it wasn't (laughs) uncommon to live to a great age. And they were damn strong Mm. and big, like you, John.
0: Yes, there you go. <laughs> Maybe you're and out hairy. of the 12th century. Yeah, I promise you. I, I, just, I just walked straight out of the 12th century.
1: You know what? you started lunch? we're going to be calling him the hairy
0: one. Fives, yeah, <laughs> yeah. thank you so much for coming in and talking about the books. It's uh, such a wonderful thing to see them all out again in these extraordinary covers. Uh, and for us to know that there are going to be two more coming is even more exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Thank you, Sarah okay and you can get hold of blanche's books at booktopia.com.au right now
1: thanks for listening to the booktopia podcast don't forget to subscribe to us on soundcloud and itunes and if your eyeballs need a workout check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget, for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.